If you would, turn to the book of James, as I'm going to continue through this book, Lord willing, and we're, we're going to finish up chapter 1 today. If you would turn there, I'll, I'll go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I thank you, God, so much just for, for who you are, for your great blessings, Lord, that... Um, that you have created us and that you have loved us enough to give us your son as a sacrifice. How incredible. Lord, I pray that we would never forget just how incredible and amazing that love really truly is. I thank you for songs that remind us. I thank you for teaching that remind us. But most of all, I thank you for your word that points us to that truth in our in our lives. I pray, God, as we look at this instruction that James has given, that you would open our hearts, open our ears, that we could hear it. Lord, help us to apply it. Convict us, God, where conviction is necessary, and guide us into living this life that you have set forth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Ronnie called me this morning and said, "Hey, what are you? Where? Where? I can't remember exactly where you were in James." So I told him, "I'm right there at the end of chapter one." And I said, "It's it's just been it's been a struggle." And here here's why it's been a struggle. I said, "How do you preach something you're not doing?" And that's the truth is this is the way I feel just about any time I stand up here and I'm giving the privilege and honor to preach the word of God, and, and I, I want to preach application of the word of God, and I'm looking at it, and I'm falling so short in the application myself. So just know that as we go through this, this is, for me, um, as much as it is for you, because it is given to each of us for instruction. So just keep that in mind as as we look at this. So James... In verse 21, that's where we, that's where we get to. I'll just, I'll just start right in there. He says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So he says, therefore. So we're looking at in view of the fact, things that he's already said. And what we're looking at here, therefore, in view of the fact that God has begotten us for his service in view of the fact that he has brought us forth by the word of truth it goes back to verse 18 of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures he has created us for a purpose when you're born again you're born into you you are changed you're a new creation created for his glory, created to serve him, created to serve his body. That's what he has done. And he, so that's what James is, when we look at the book of James, it's, it's a lot different than like when you look at Paul's writings. It's a very practical application of this is what a regenerated soul looks like. This is how you should be acting. This is what somebody who has been born again in Christ should be acting. This is how you should look. And so he, and he, gives, the, he gives the instructions. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant 
wickedness. This seems like it should be a no-brainer. I think James was probably dealing with some people like what we see today. Um, we see a lot of easy believism. Once you're saved, you can go do whatever you want to. Those kind of We see a lot of that in our culture today. It seems to me like this is what James is dealing with. And like we heard this morning, you're born into sin, right? Never have to teach your children to lie. The depravity of man hasn't gotten worse in our culture. Our culture has made it to where it is, it's almost celebrated. Our culture is allowing it more. But the man's heart is, was just as depraved in James' time as it is in our time. And so what, the fact that people would come up with ways to justify their sin, that's nothing new to this culture. That was going on then, and that's what James is dealing with. So he says, put away that filthiness. You have been washed in the blood of Jesus, and he has a work for you, but this wickedness that we allow in our hearts, this wickedness that we allow in our lives, it hinders the work of Christ. Even the thoughts that we allow, it hinders his work. Not that we can hinder the work of God, but it hinders his work through you. So, the next part of the verse here is both a result and a method of putting away that wickedness. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word. That word that has been implanted of you is actually evidence that you have been born again. If there is no indwelling word of Christ in your heart, then you are not saved. The only ones who have that word implanted... That's regeneration. It's been, you've been saved by the Holy Spirit. You've been born again. And with that, He has implanted a love for His Word and the Word itself in your heart. But we still have this flesh, right? We're still dealing with the world. We're still dealing with our sin nature within our flesh. And so that's where we have to Think about these things, that these instructions that James has given us. We have to receive this with meekness. Humility becomes so important in the Christian life. Doing away with pride. And how do you, how do, you do away with pride? How do you get... Um, I've talked about this before, I think. I don't know if it was here, but... If you think you're really, really good at basketball, like you think, I'm the best... How can you find out real quick you're not? You find somebody that's better, right? You think you're really good at basketball? Well, just just watch a little video of LeBron James, right? He's better than you at basketball. I don't care who's in here. He's better than you, right? If you think you're really good at, I don't know, archery, watch the Olympics. You think you're good at ice skating? we got the Olympics coming up. Watch them. You're not as good as those people. It kills, it crushes your pride on how good you are So on, on those specific things. So you think you get built up in pride, you think you can do something? How do you kill that pride, overall pride? Take a look at Jesus. Examine him. Start to study him and his life in the word of God, and it won't be very long. Your pride will start to melt away. Why? Because he's so much better. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Christ is more. Christ is more. Christ is greater. 
That's how you get rid of your pride. And if you do that, then you can start. <laughs> it works simultaneously, right? By implanting the word into your heart, the wickedness starts to fall away. Um, Psalm one nineteen eleven says, "I have stored up your word in my heart," and it says, "And it's why I have stored up my word in your or your word in my heart that I might not sin against you." How do you battle sin? How do you stop this sin pattern in your lives? It's His Word. But it's more than just reading it. It's storing it up in your heart. It's putting it into your mind and meditating on it. Wickedness and evil. If you're trying to get over sin, wickedness and evil must be replaced. It must be something else must take its place or else the idleness. You can get away from it. And then there's a idleness. It'll always be filled back with wickedness and evil. But if you replace that with something good, if you replace the sin with a service for God's people, if you replace the sin with more knowledge of God, then you have you you can begin to fight that. As we look at that, I mean, well, let's just go on to verse 22 here. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The problem with most Christians, the problem that most Christians have with being doers of the word is that in order to be a doer of the word, you're going to have to know the word. That's a real problem. You can't be a doer of something you don't know. Okay, and there's not time in in your day to day decisions to go search the scriptures on most of the decisions you make. Big decisions, yes, you have time, go search the scriptures, you're gonna confront this person, you're gonna make a big move, you're gonna do those things. Yes, you have time then to go search the scriptures. But in your day to day life, like Paul was talking about this morning about having outbursts of anger. Well, it's not like we, somebody makes us mad. Okay, hold on. And you get okay. Uh, you got you don't have time. It's not that's not practical. What is practical is if we will study the scriptures and meditate on this, the scriptures, then it, it becomes a natural reaction. Um, it, what the reality of this is, the, in order to be a doer of the word, the word has to be transform, transforming who you are on a daily basis. It doesn't happen each decision like this, I'm going to be a... No, it's changing who you are in your personal study time. It's changing who you are as you're driving down the road and you're meditating on the thing that you read this morning or the thing that you read last night. And you're thinking, okay... What can I do to better conform to that? I, I was, a few weeks ago, it seemed like in, in my mind, I hadn't talked to anybody about this, but I just felt like, it seems like I'm making bad decisions. I'm not talking about sinful decisions. I'm not talking about, like, I have these, I have this thing going on. No, it's just like my day-to-day life, it just seems like I'm not being real wise. And last Sunday at church, during the scripture reading, it was in the Proverbs, and, I'm, and there was three or four verses that was just like, wow, 
So I started reading the Proverbs every day. And it's like, it, it has changed. It has changed. In the last week, I've had a different outlook on a lot of things just from reading the Proverbs. Why? Because there's a lot of wisdom in the Proverbs. Solomon was the most wise man on the earth, right? So when he writes, it's just loaded with wisdom, very practical, day-to-day wisdom, and it's amazing because it fits us so well today just as it did then. What does this mean? It means in order to be a doer of the Word, we have to be putting the Word into us constantly. Colossians 1, if you want to turn to Colossians 1, it says in verse 9, it says, maybe, do what? For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled, may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That has to happen on a daily basis. This doesn't happen on your, on your individual decisions quickly made. You have to be transforming on a daily basis so that when it comes time to be a doer of the Word, it's already happening within your heart. Now, here, here's the interesting thing of this, to be doers of the word. There's somewhere between 50 to 100 million people in churches today hearing the word of God preached. I'll say that lightly. Um, if there were really 50 to 100 million people that are, if, they were, if there was really that many people in this country that were following James' instructions here to be doers of the word, we would have a completely different culture. We would have a completely different country. It would be a completely different world that we lived in if you're talking about 50 to 100 million people. But the problem is it's not easy to do. It requires, when you're talking about being a doer of the Word, it requires sacrifice. You have to spend time in the Word studying it, which means you're going to have to give up something. We fill our time, we all fill our time with something. What is it? It's different for every one of us. What are you going to have to give up to be able to do this? I'm not real sure. Maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's work. Maybe you're spending too much time at work. Maybe, I mean, it could be anything. But if you examine your time, if you examine your life, I promise you there's some idle, wasted time that you could give up for this. But it's still going to sacrifice something that you want to do. Um, It's going to require work and effort. To be a doer of the word is going to require leaving our comfort zone. Once you start studying this stuff, once you start implanting this into your heart, once God starts implanting this into your heart, you may have to do things you're not real comfortable with, like call somebody, check on them. You might have to go visit somebody that you're not really familiar with. You might have to give up time for them. You might have to give up money. You may be sending money somewhere that God has now put on your heart to do. 
I mean, it can be a lot of different things. As we get down to the end of this chapter, we're going to see that the, the pure religion is to care for the widows and orphans. And to be quite honest, that's not always the most glorious work. Sometimes that's the most heart-wrenching work. But it's sacrifice. So why aren't we seeing more people do that? Why, if there's 50 to 100 million people in churches this morning, how many of them are doers of the word? How many of us are doers of the word? Why do we not see more of this? Well, the, the easy answer, the short answer is there's a whole lot of people in churches this morning who claim to be Christians who are not born again. They have not received the implanted word of God in their heart. Maybe there's some here. I don't know. Only you can know that. Only you and God can know that. But I can tell you this. If that's not you and you're here because you're born again and God has implanted his word in your heart, you have no excuse. God is speaking to you now to become a doer of the word if you're not already. So examine your life. Examine your time. What am I doing? What am I doing to walk out this word of God? And then he says at the end of the verse, deceiving yourselves. I think in this one verse, he's taken all that easy believism stuff and he's shot holes all in that barrel. There is no easy believism. It requires sacrifice. If you claim to be a Christian, but there's no evidence of this in your life, what? You're deceiving yourselves. That's why you should examine. You have not examined yourself in the light of Scripture. You're deceived. Examine yourself according to the Word of God to see that you're in the faith. And if you are, be doers of the Word. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. It's a glance in the mirror, but then quickly forgets. There's no intent examination of what the man really looks like. And here's what that means. Here's what we can see with this. The Bible says that every man will declare his own goodness And so every man, when he takes a glance at himself, he sees himself, he only sees the good. We're all guilty of it. We judge others by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. We can justify our sin. We can see it so clearly in others, but we can justify our own sin because we know our heart. My heart was right. We can take a glance at ourselves, and we we can declare ourselves good. Was it John Hall? That said, every man is like a black belt when it comes to defending his sin. Was that who it was? I think it was John Hall when he was here. And that is so true. We can defend our own sin. And that's what, that's what he's talking about, a glance in the mirror. With no deep examination, with no deep look at what is wrong. We don't, you have to stare intently before you start noticing the flaw. Well, that's what we should be doing with our souls. That's what we should be doing with our lives is examining it. But look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, 
the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The perfect law of liberty. That's what I'm talking about. When you want to melt your pride away, compare yourself to Jesus. He's saying here, compare your life to the perfect law of liberty, the law of Christ. He's talking about the whole law as interpreted by Jesus, as kept by Jesus. That's how you examine yourself. That's the mirror you need to compare yourself to. You want to look at yourself and glance at a mirror, oh yeah, I look pretty good. Or do you want to lay a picture of yourself out there and put it side by side with a picture of Jesus, a picture of the law of liberty, of Christ, the essence of the law as Jesus taught. What's the essence of the law? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second part, likened unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus did that perfectly. He demonstrated that on the cross. And we're going to look at a mirror and we're going to say, yeah, we're doing pretty good. No compare yourself to that compare yourself that that spoken word that dylan does it gets me i've heard it two or three times it gets me every time when he starts talking about the sinews that they put the spikes through that he knit together the spit was created he's created the salivary the glands that created that he's making it the breath that they were using to push out the the words against him he gave him he gives them that air the tree that they hung him on he caused to grow that is loving your neighbor as yourself that is perfection and that is perfect love and yet we're doing okay we're pretty good No, examine yourselves according to that. And he says, he who perseveres while doing that has become more than a hearer of the word, but a doer. When you can compare yourself to Jesus and you can remain in Christ. Now, here's the thing. If you're like I was as I'm reading this and I'm studying this and even right now as I'm seeing it again, you've fallen short. I've fallen way short every time. But the reason that I can persevere is because that same Jesus who I am comparing myself to and falling so short in is that same Jesus who loved me so much that he died. He died for me. And he says, okay, I know you've fallen short again. But that's why I died. And that's why I have your that's why I've given you the Holy Spirit that you can that He will pick you up and you will persevere and you'll do it again. And you'll do it again. And trust me, we're gonna fall short. We're gonna fall short. But He's gonna teach us and He's gonna grow us and He's gonna implant that word in our heart so that as we grow, the outbursts of anger will come smaller. And they'll be farther in between. Praise the Lord. The thoughts of lust will start to shrink. 
There will be longer times in between. He will start to teach you. He will guide you. And you can accelerate this by his word. You can, indwell, you can implant that word in your heart, and it helps you to overcome these sins. And then, as we heard in the Proverbs this morning, verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You want, to be, you want a very, very specific, applicable example of being a doer of the word and not just a hearer? Bridle your tongue. Uh, back up to verse 19. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So much. I, you could start going through scriptures. Colossians 4, six says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That doesn't happen as the question comes, as somebody comes spewing hatred at you. You don't have time to, to do this. This comes from teaching the Holy Spirit teaching you in your studies how to bridle your tongue, meditating on the fact, I need to bridle my tongue. I need to be careful with what I say. There's a lot of times I need to be quiet and don't need to say anything. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I wonder how many problems we have in the church that would be, that I'm talking about churches in general, that would be avoided if, this ver- if these verses were followed. I wonder how many problems we have in our lives that would be avoided if we would just listen to these verses and that we would guide, bridle our tongue. What does it mean to bridle the tongue? What is a bridle? It's a, it's a leather apparatus that you put on a horse, right? And it has a bit that goes in the mouth. That's what a bridle is. And what does it do? It gives you full control over the horse. You pull back, he stops, right? You give him a little rein and it goes. You have control. You turn him right, you turn him left. That's what a bridle does. It gives you control over a beast that's thousands of pounds heavier than you. That's a pretty good description of the tongue, too. It's a beast that is thousands of pounds heavier than us. And James says, bridle it. God says, bridle it. Put it under control. Put it under control of your mind, which means think before you talk. Proverbs 21, I believe, is we read that this morning. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Man. Hey, husbands, by the way, the supplies in your marriage as well. And ladies. Proverbs 26, 20 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarrelings cease. I learned that lesson a few years ago. We was having a lot of, there was a problem within our, within our church. 
there were some people that had came in and were stirring up the pot. I mean, it was just, it was just a, I mean, it was a deal. It was a problem. And um, there's a lot of people that just seem to like confusion, calamity, right? They like to see things all in dis, dis, disarray. They kind of fuel off of that, and so they'll they'll spew things out at you, and when you react, oh, it's like what? Gasoline on the fire. And that's what this verse is talking about. When those people are talking, and they're, they're slandering you, and, the, and you so bad want to just lash out, that's what that's what this proverb is talking about. That's what James is talking about. You can let the fire burn down. And it is amazing when you don't react with harsh words back to see. You can just kind of, it's almost like you can see the flame just kind of dying out. Don't put more fuel on the fire than is necessary. When somebody is talking bad about you, think about Christ. What did he do? Did they slander him? Yeah. The the difference is when they slander me, there's probably at least some truth, if not a lot of truth in what they're saying. Right? Because I know my heart. And that's why my pride wants to swell up and say, "No, it's not true. It's not true." But when they slandered Christ, and when they badmouthed him, and when they false accused him, and it, and then not even counting the physical things, but all of those, what did he do? He was quiet. Out of everybody who had a right to retaliate, out of everybody who had a right to defend himself, he didn't. And that's the Christ who we are to compare ourselves to in this. So when it talks about the tongue, and we'll see it repeated more as we go through the book of James, but what we say and how we say it has everything to do with the effectiveness of of our faith. And I've heard people say everything and they can say, they can be completely correct in what they're saying. Even in a rebuke or in an admonition or in an argument, they can be 100% correct and still be wrong. Because it's the way they say it. So bridle it, control it. Let it come with salt. Let it come with love with what you say. And if we, can't, if we can't do that, if we can't control our tongue, then everything else we try to do for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his kingdom, is going to be worthless. You can do all the work in the world and they'll go, ah, oh, that guy, he runs his mouth too much. Right? So, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, affliction and to keep oneself unstrained, unstained from the world. So James has said, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer. Don't just show up to church and listen to the word preached. Don't just listen to sermons preached all the time. No, at some point you're going to have to take that information, take that knowledge that you're learning and put it into application. And then he's given us several ways to do that. One is to bridle your tongue. You want to be a doer of the word? Learn to control your tongue. Once you get that, you need to move on. You need to be a doer of the word. And he gives another great example. This is how you do it. To visit orphans and widows, care for them. 
in their affliction. Why, why do you think he says orphans and widows? Anybody ever thought about that? And it's a little bit different in our culture now because sometimes widows do have things. But especially in that time, in that place, these were the people who could absolutely offer you nothing. You're going to care for the widows. There's no repay. There's no, I'll scratch your back, you'll scratch mine with this. No, you are fully committing to a service, and there is no pay in return. I'm not talking about, I'm talking in any way. There's, there's, the glory goes to God in this, and in orphans as well. And it's really not that much different now. And so when you do this, you see a more pure motive. It's amazing how you can find somebody that's uh, wealthy. I've seen this happen with a family in Stratford when they moved in. Wealthy family moves in, and everybody's like lining up to help them. You know, hey, you need help with this. It's amazing how helpful people are. But the widow right down the road that has nobody come and visit them, all those people that are help, they don't go visit them. Why is that? There's nothing in the return. They can't look down the line and say, hey, this will pay off. And that's why God says, do it. It's not for you. It's not for your sake. It's for the help of the widow. It's for the help of the orphan. It's for the glory of God. But here's the amazing thing about it. Even though it's really not for our sake, if you've ever done this, it is so much for our sake. It will draw, it, you will draw closer to God through this kind of work. You will draw closer to Christ. You will grow and learn, especially in humility. And so there's, there's dual purpose here. But that's what he says. He says, care for the widows and orphans. And so reading this now, the question stands glaring It's like it's hovering over each one of us. We cannot dodge the question at this point as we look into the perfect law of liberty, and that is how practical is your religion? How pure and undefiled is your walk with Christ? Are you reaching out to the widows and to the orphans? a fair question right that's what james is telling us this is pure and undefiled religion um do you know there's countless kids roaming the streets in ada the fatherless looked different in our culture than it did in theirs there was orphanages there was very little care for them we have the state that sometimes kind of cares for the kids they meet physical needs try they do different things but those kids are their spiritual needs at all been being met have you considered any way to reach out to spiritual orphans to orphans in general to the fatherless how many fatherless kids do we have running around ada or stratford there's a lot and they need people in their lives to come in and guide them and teach them about Christ and teach them about life. 
There's also five, I think, over five nursing homes in Ada, every one of which has people that are living in them that don't have anybody visit them. We also do a, we do a ministry once a month at Featherstone. Have you considered just going? Let me tell you about the Featherstone ministry. It's, it's not quite a nursing home, but there are a lot of widows there and widowers and lonely people. And when we go, you can tell that they, they are so appreciative of once a month. And you can spend time with them. And they're just thankful to have people visit them. And, I mean, that's a big place. I don't know how many residents are there. And there's not that many that come out, but the ones who do are very appreciative. And if you, if you haven't felt like, okay, that's something that I should do, or I, you just maybe you hadn't considered it, I would encourage you, just go. If nothing else, you're a great encouragement to whoever's doing the preaching. Just having more people there to listen and, and be supportive is great. So I, I encourage you in that. But the, the truth is, on all of this is, What are we doing to be practical, to make our religion undefiled, to make our religion true? And I'll tell you what, studying theology is not enough, and we love it here. I mean, obviously, we have a school of ministry that we're going to go through this afternoon. We have, I mean, lots of people that are very interested in theology And I'm one of them. We love it. We'll get together. We'll talk about it. We'll study it. And it's great. But if that's all we are, then we are falling short of what James says is pure and undefiled. So search your life. Search for things to do for God, for his glory. And let me tell you something. The most, I I honestly believe the ministries that God is the most glorified in are the least glorified glorious to us and dylan i I believe would attest to this he's been probably ob too but i've seen it with dylan a lot he's been in places and he's trying to do a rap concert and there's like four people standing up there and he's been in places where there's thousands and I, i think he put a post it may have been ob that put the post up i don't remember but it said if you're not willing to do this and it has a picture of like him around, or somebody around three or four kids, then you shouldn't ever even think about doing this. And I am telling you right now, that is so true. If you're not willing to sit down with one person one-on-one, because that's the only person that showed up, because you got to have your thousands, or you got to have your hundred, or fifty, or whatever it is, then you don't have any business with a platform in front of a lot. Those are where God is glorified. In the desert somewhere where somebody wants to be baptized and you find water, like Philip and the eunuch, that was just as glorious as Peter standing before the thousand, when the first 3,000 were saved. Numbers don't mean anything to God. It's our sacrifice to Him. And then He finally, He says, keep yourselves unstained from the world. Just right there. Keep yourselves unstained from the world. Seems very simple. One sentence. 
extremely difficult. Do not give in to the worldly temptations that will defile you. And all of this goes together. You cannot care for the widows and orphans in their affliction. You cannot bridle your tongue and you cannot grow in the word of God if you're given in and you're you're stained by the world. Romans 12:2 You're probably familiar with this one. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that is our calling. I mean, to, to be unstained by the world is one, the, the testimony of believers and unbelievers, when they talk about you, when, they, when somebody brings up your name, your prayer should be that, that guy is honest, or that lady is honest and caring, and they love the Lord. Whether they believe in Him or not, they want to know, they want to see that you're sincere, you're not a hypocrite when it comes to your daily life, to be unstained from the world. And, and here's, here's where it gets real. There's practices, there's things that we can do that we can have liberty in that the truth is the world sees them as stain. And we as believers need to consider that. We need to consider how the world views certain things. If the world uses it, views it as sin, then we should probably go ahead and abstain from it so that we're not stained by the world. Does that make sense? And you know what you know the things, there's certain things that are just considered sin by the world. And the word of God may not specifically call them sin, but that's what it says in Romans when you're not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, you need to ask yourself the question, and whatever practice it is, usually usually if you have to ask, the best advice is probably stay away from it. When people say, well, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? Well, probably not if you're having to ask. I mean, nobody's ever had to ask, Pastor, is it okay to pray more? Is it okay to you know, care for these people that they're, they don't have any money and um, I was feeling like I should buy them dinner. Would that be okay? Nobody has to ask those things. So just consider that. Consider how the world looks at your actions because we want to be unspotted and unstained from that world. And, of course, the other things that the Bible does call sin very specifically, obviously, we have to abstain from those things. And that's our calling. That, that is our calling as Christians, is to examine ourselves according to the perfect law of liberty and remain unstained from the world, to bridle the tongue and care for the widows and orphans. Pretty short list. There's more later. James is going to cover more. And that right there is more than we can probably actually achieve in a lifetime. But that's what we need to be striving for. And we can only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one. Everything good that we can manage to muster up is, is not, I mean, He is the one who does good. We can't manage to muster up any good within ourselves. It's not there. 
but God, who is rich in mercy, can. He can work through us, and he can do good through us, and that's why he's given us the word. That's why he's given us a body of believers to serve one another, to serve others, to reach out. So it's like a... That's the only way you can do this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. The amazing thing about this whole thing, the amazing thing about this whole section of Scripture by James is that it is possible that we can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's incredible. He took a depraved human being in me, one who was inclined to sin, one who was headed down the road of destruction, He gives me his spirit. He takes out the heart of stone, gives me a heart of flesh. And now he says, okay, I'm going to use you to do good things. And I'm going to do good things through you, not of yourselves, but the gift of God. That is incredible. That is is the practical gospel. That That is the rest of the story after you've been saved is that's not the end of it. That's the beginning. He's now going to grow you in righteousness. He's now going to grow you in your works and how you respond to people, how you respond to the word, and how you respond to the world. So as we close, I just I would just say, um, like I said to begin, um, I fall short so much. I'm wrong more than I'm right. But by His grace, we're going to grow together. We're going to move on. We're going to go out there and we're going to, we're going to proclaim a, sal- a Savior to this lost and dying world. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, God, I thank you for the book of James and... Um, the practicality, the application that I can see so clearly needs that I need so bad in my life. I pray, Lord, that you would help me, that you would teach me, that you would cause me to live like that, to be a doer of the word, that you would teach me every day um, how to do that. Uh, Lord, it's, and as I fall short, Thank you, God, for your mercy and your long-suffering with me, uh, with my brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that you would raise us up together to honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.